Just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to Sidebar Forever. If you like the show, please subscribe to us at SidebarForever.com as well as share episodes of the podcast on your social media. That way, new listeners can find us as well. On today's podcast, we talk revenge plots, failed kidnappings, con men and grifters, and the seduction of quick and easy money. All right smack in the middle of anywhere USA. Rural crime movies are one of our favorite film subgenres. They at once combine small town life with unexpected danger and chaos, and usually a local or two who are in way over their heads. In the conversation, Swain and I discuss such films as Bonnie and Clyde, The Getaway, Blood Simple, At Close Range, A Simple Plan, The Lookout, Hell or High Water, and Wind River. We also name-check a few A-list actors like Francis McDormand and Josh Brolin, who rose to prominence after their appearances in rural crime movies like Fargo and No Country for Old Men, both by the directorial team Joel and Ethan Cohen. What are some of the elements and tropes that set these films apart from other crime movies? And do we learn more about the human condition by telling these tales against the backdrop of the Deep South, the Heartland, and the modern-day American frontier. I'm Adrian Johnson. Swain and me got a plan, and if we stick to it and don't screw nothing up, we can hightail it out of here. Because today, we're in a whole mess of trouble with a topic we're calling Rural Crime Movies. I guess the thing that I initially was thinking about was like, why does Hollywood and why does American cinema return to these kind of small town rural crime movies? They don't make them all the time, certainly not in a, in a studio sense. Now, you know, the big studios are more, much more concerned with, you know, franchises and, you know, blockbuster films. But, you know, for a time, you, even if you look at the timeline of the films that we're going to discuss today, you know, they'll do a couple and then it'll skip five or six or seven years and then a couple more will kind of come to the four or one or two and then it'll skip five or six or seven years. And I'm thinking my thinking is, is that obviously films like these are simpler to make. Yep. You know, they require unless it's a period piece where, you know, everything has to look a certain way. You know, they're simpler to make because, you know, you're not involving you're not in you don't have to cut off streets per se you could take over a town or a right, section of a yeah. town mm-hmm. you could literally shoot an entire thing you know within two square blocks you know or on a ranch or in a neighborhood or wherever the case may be and then just you know so it seems like it would be budget budget wise it would be simpler but but why why do you, why do you think that we continue to return to these kinds of small town you know these thrillers and you know this kind of thing I really think it's because it's this whole idea of like American values, quote unquote. Right. You know what I'm saying? Just people are always interested in Americana. They're always saying, oh, we need to return to like this small town values or whatnot. But beneath that, and I think in modern society, there's a lot of that undercurrent of, well, what's beneath these placid waters of, you know, everything's okay, everything's cool. No, it's not cool. It's some other it's some other stuff going on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You see it every day in the news or whatnot. But as far as like 
movies themselves, I think it's because, you know, one, like you mentioned, they're economically, you know, cheap to make, you know, relatively. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You know, you can take over a town. Like you say, you know, you'll see behind the scenes of certain movies where it's like, okay, like like a time to kill. You know, mm-hmm. they took over that town, yeah. wherever that was. Yeah. They shot the movie, yeah. boom, you know, yeah. it was done. You know, but you don't see that a lot nowadays because they do a lot of that in studio. And this is even pre-COVID and everything, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But I think just the studios, they, when you have an actor who's hot, you know what I'm saying? They'll right. do like big movies and then the actor will be like, you know, I just kind of want to do a smaller something. Right. You know, like a character piece. Right. Okay, well, well give him or her a character piece. You know what I'm saying? And you'll find that it's like that one for them, one for me type thing. Yeah. You know, and that one for me type thing is usually something small. More It's not going to cost a lot. Yeah. 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 So that way the studio will be like, yeah, okay, okay. We can give you about... Uh, Eight or ten million to do something with that, okay? Because right. you've earned a hundred million for us. Now that's like you said, that's pre-COVID, but that's also pre-Marvel blockbusters. Yeah, you know, tentpole movies. You know, now studio, the big studios, according to you know everything that we read and hear, you know, they don't want to spend ten or twenty million dollars. They want to spend fifty million dollars yeah. yeah. on what would be considered a smaller movie. It's like if we're not spending a hundred to two hundred million dollars, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you know the return would be so small, even though you might spend twenty million on it and make eighty, which is a hit. Right. You know that ain't no money now by those standards, and so a lot of those time kinds of films we're starting to see go straight to streaming platforms. We're mm. seeing Netflix and and other smaller studios make those movies, and they end up on Hulu, Netflix, and, and places like that. An example would be that movie I was telling you about. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know I believe it's on Netflix. You know, and it's. If they spent $20 million on it, I'd be surprised. But, um, you know, Elijah Wood's in it. Melanie Linsky is in it. Okay. Um, And I think it was all shot in Portland. So it was actually on the honorable mention list for our conversation today. It's (laughs) technically suburban and not rural, per se. But it was very much like an anywhere USA kind of a movie. Like you weren't completely aware that it was Portland or California or, you know, North Dakota or whatever. It was just a neighborhood or whatever. But yeah, I, I think you're right about that. But yeah, now the the focus is on the bigger budgeted films, and so you know, I don't know. Would would they make a simple plan today? Would they make uh, at close range or something like that today? No, and in you know? fact, you know, at close range, which was awesome, by the way, great recommendation. I'm yo. glad you like it. Was yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, I had read I. Done some reading up on it, you know. Afterwards, and you know, apparently, this was like a, a passion project for Sean Penn. Mm-hmm. You know, this was something I, I guess he had uh, pitched. It was like, hey, I really want to do this story. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it shows in the final product. You know, because the movie was great. But again, it's because he was beginning to be a proven commodity. Like he was very busy. During the early 80s. Oh, yeah. You know, when you look back yeah. at his filmography then, mm-hmm. you know, you have, like, um, Bad Boys in 83, you know. Um, well, before that, obviously, Fast Times on Ridgemont High. But and, after, you know, and Bad Taps. Boys. He was in Taps, wasn't he? He was. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So he was a hot young actor. And I think the studios then was like, he's, he's been doing pretty good business for us. Yeah, sure. Why not? And the movie itself, and it's not, it's not you know, um, a detriment to it, but it doesn't look like they spent a lot on it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It looks they spent just enough to get the authenticity 
to what they were shooting, to the story, mm-hmm. and they took over a town, you know, I would imagine, mm-hmm. you know, because they have the town square there, they, you know, outskirts and everything, mm-hmm. you know, but as far as would they make something like that today, mm-mm. It, like, it would have to be like a big ass actor saying, I want to do this, you know, like a Leonardo DiCaprio or somebody right. saying, no, I want to do this. You know, if I do this, you know, you're going to make some of your money back. You're going to make at least your money back. So to that point, uh, we have examples of them in recent years. We're talking about uh, Hell or High Water. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about um, Wind River. And then uh, that recent movie that Angelina Jolie is in, Those Who Wish Me Dead, which is uh, on Netflix. It went straight to Netflix. I think it might have been made for Netflix, maybe. But all of those are written by Taylor Sheridan, who was born in you know West Texas, lives in Wyoming. You know he's very preoccupied by the modern American frontier, and uh, in movies about these kinds of broken, disillusioned uh, places. Mm-hmm. But you know, like even the those who wish me dead, you know, it's not a studio f- film. It's not you know, in theaters or whatever. And and to be honest, it feels like a throwback. How so? Well, just because you just haven't seen it. We just don't see films like that. You know, even Wind River, which I guess came out in 2017. Yeah. It was four or five years ago. And that's another one. That was his, the movie, first movie he wrote and directed. But, I mean, it's got Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. And it's got two Avengers in it. <laughs> yeah. You know, at the height of their, you know, their their powers or whatever. But to go back to your point before earlier about Sean Penn, and then we can actually get to, uh, you know, describing what we're going to talk about in, in as far as rural crime movies go. The other thing that about Penn at that time that was big was he was married to Madonna. Oh, yeah. They were recently married. So he was in the press punching reporters and paparazzi <laughs> out every other week. Right. So, you know, that was another thing. You know, he was popular, but he was also kind of or famous, but he was also becoming infamous at the same time. Yeah. So um, you could get a lot of press on Sean Penn, whether the movie was good or bad. And, you know, and you know, what's funny about that movie, man, you know, obviously Madonna sang the ending song, right. you know, and when her credit came up, it was like written by so-and-so and sung by Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, yeah. he had his brother Chris in it. And the woman who played their grandma was actually their mom. Whose mom? Their mom, Chris, Chris and Sean Penn's? Yeah. So the the woman that played grandma. Oh my God. I didn't mom. know that. Yo, that's some hella trivia, yo. Yeah, and I didn't catch it until I read up on it. Uh Chris Penn trips up in the in the scene where they're playing Monopoly, mm-hmm. you know, at the house. And he says, No, mom, you can't do that. But he's talking to the grandma. character who's supposed to be his grandmother. Yeah, but he's like, Mom, 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 no, you gotta take Park Avenue. It's like Oh shit! So I didn't rewind. It was like he sure did. He called wow. him up. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's crazy. Yeah, that is hilarious. But um, well, go ahead, man, and, and set us off as far as this particular subgenre and yeah. uh, and how much we love it and what and and what it is and where it started. Yeah, man. Um, when you suggested this as a topic, I had to think about it because I was like, okay, okay, let's let me let's sit back and think about this. And the more I thought about it, and the more you and I dialogued on it. You know, it really became prevalent that this is kind of a, a genre of movies. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? A genre within a subgenre. You know, crime mm-hmm. movies, but crime movies that take place in rural country settings, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I was thinking back to, like, kind of the origins of, like, you know, these rural crime movies. And you can definitely go back to, like, 
I'd say like like the 30s, you know, those some of those Warner Brothers movies. Like, okay, like Petrified Forest. Mm-hmm. You know, Humphrey Bogart, you know, takes place in this rural cafe. You know, he's holding these patrons hostage or whatnot, mm-hmm. you know. But you also have at the same time in real life, you know, these gangsters terrorizing the Midwest. Well, not gangsters, more like bank robbers mm-hmm. and criminals on these crime sprees, you know, like Dillinger. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, Machine Gun Kelly, Babyface, Babyface Nelson, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, just doing, just doing mad shit, you know, throughout uh-huh. the Midwest, and you know, being subsequently vilified for it, but they were kind of like folk heroes, like Robin Hood, yeah, because exactly. the banks and and all the, you know, there was extreme, there was no middle class. Mm-hmm. It was either you had money or you didn't have money. You know, and so, you know, they were kind of like seen as robbing from the rich, not to give to the poor, but just fucking sticking it to the man, basically. Exactly. (laughs) So you had movies around that time that either, you know, would, you know, um, have characters that were similar to them. You know, they wouldn't necessarily have them by name in the movie, but it would be characters that are similar to the events that happened. Right. You know, like those movies would come later on. But... You know, so you jump ahead to, like, the late 60s, okay? And while we're talking about Bonnie and Clyde, you know, you do have, in 1967, the movie Bonnie and Clyde. Right. You know, comes out. Obviously, Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, Mm -hmm. you know. And it's the thing of, when you watch it, it's obvious that they're trying to portray them as star-crossed lovers on one degree. Right. They're young people, youths who feel like the only way to get out of this this town or to get out of these circumstances is, hey, let's kick the the dust off our shoes and go rob some banks, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it starts small. He robs a hardware store, comes back, shows, you know, um, Bonnie, Faye Dunaway, hey, I got some money. And she's attracted by it. She's like, it was that easy. That's all you had to do. You went in and showed him a gun. Yeah. Let's hit the road, babe. And they do it, right? That's it, yeah. Yeah. But it always ends bad. So, (laughs) (laughs) so obviously, everyone knows if you know anything about Hollywood lore and, you know, just films, you know, the way Bonnie and Clyde ends, you know. And it's probably the first time, to my knowledge, and I'm sure if anyone knows otherwise, you know, you'll correct us in the comment section, that this is the first time where we see like graphic violence, like, you know, entrance wounds, you know, when they got shot at the end, when they were ambushed yeah. by the Texas Rangers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think it set a standard. Now, mind you, this is two years before the Wild Bunch. Right. You know what I'm saying? So Hollywood hadn't seen, you know, this type of violence portrayed on screen. Mm-hmm. So at once it was like, OK, we have this crime movie, but it's also one part Romeo and Juliet <laughs> in some way. Yeah. But it's also... You know, it was also very violent. Aside from that particular scene, you have another scene where Gene Hatman gets shot in the face. Yeah. You know, and again, you hadn't seen that. That's the one that even even though I'd seen many, many violent movies prior to seeing Bonnie and Clyde, that's the one where I was just like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. It was re- it really kind of rocked me, you know, bec- and that was one of Gene's, I think, first acting mm-hmm. roles, you know, in, yeah. in, as a, in a feature film. Yeah. But that was the one where I was like, wow, you know. And 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 also the one that really said, yeah, yeah this is this is not going to end well for, yeah. <laughs> for anybody associated with these two people, let alone you know the the two the titular characters in the film. Exactly, because before this, you know, anytime you've seen like those type of crime movies, when someone is shot, 
you know, it's clutch your stomach and ooh, you fall over. Exactly, <laughs> teal over, pass ooh. out. Exactly, <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> but now it's like no, no, they, they're they're getting their comeuppance. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they've been portrayed as characters. So when this happens, it's very tragic. It's almost like, yeah. oh man, why they had to go out? Why they had to go out like yeah. that? Because they rob fucking banks. That's yeah. why, and yeah. they kill people. Yeah, and it, and very much a precursor to. The antiheroes of, you know, like the Sopranos era or gangster movies where you're kind of rooting for Henry Hill and, and Goodfellas and you're kind of rooting for Tony Soprano, even though they're murderous, ruthless, degenerate scumbags. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You spend so much time with them, you kind of are on their side mm-hmm. in a way as a, as a viewer. Exactly, exactly. And also when... In the late 60s, there's kind of a split. So you have rural crime movies that kind of go in two directions. You have the one where it's like, you know, criminals doing their thing in these rural settings. But you also have this whole thing of like, you know, um, spree crimes. You know, mm-hmm. so you have In Cold Blood in 19, also in 1967, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. You know, directed by Richard Brooks, um, stars Robert Blake. And it's a true life story. You know, about these two youths. It's always youths, you know. Mm-hmm. They just go on a killing spree, crime spree. I mean, they murder their way, steal their way across states before they're caught. I think, I'm trying to remember how the movie ended, but they, they were eventually caught or something happened and put in the jail. But, yeah, people were just shocked because these, these are youths. You know what I'm saying? These are young people, young mm-hmm. men. But you also have along those lines in 73, Badlands. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by Terrence Malick, uh, stars Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. So now you have those star-crossed lovers, like mm-hmm. you had in Bonnie and Clyde, but now they're spree killers, you know, just like, you know, um, like in Mickey, Cold Blood. Mickey and Mallory, too. Uh, it was a precursor to Mickey and Mallory in, uh, Boom. in uh, uh, Natural, Natural Born, Born Killers. killers. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly, which is one that should be added on to that as well yeah. in, our, in the conversation. But... Yeah, so even with that, you see, like, 20 years after that, the strains of how the um, genre parts, you know, are starting to become prevalent, and it's still prevalent. I was five and he was six. We rode on horses made of sticks. He wore black and I wore white. He would always win the fight. Bang, bang. He shot me down. Bang, bang. I hit the ground. Bang, bang, that awful sound Bang, bang, my baby shot me down Also, I did want to make mention of, you also have, there's a third strain of those rural crime movies. You also have the somewhat comedic, lighthearted strain as well. Like, (laughs) 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 like, okay, it's 74. Um, You got um, Thunder, I think it's Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Oh, wow. I hadn't even thought about that one, yo. I hadn't even thought about that. Clint Eastwood, Jeff Bridges, and it was um, Michael Cimino, who we know as Mr. Deer Hunter, Mr. Heaven's Gate, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Same thing, like very light. Well, I won't say very lighthearted because it ended kind of, kind of rough. You know, Jeff Bridges, he, he, he didn't go out too well. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but you also have um, in '74, you have Steven Spielberg, his first big screen feature, believe it or not, Sugarland Express with Goldie Hawn. Okay. Yeah, okay. And that yeah. took place in Texas. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, it was like you know the studio was like, oh, we we'll give this little upstart. He, he made that movie Duel, that little TV thing. I. Right. 
All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Here, right. here's some money. Go ahead. Right. And he came back and it was a moderate hit for him. And things were just already in place, too. It was like, you got Steven Spielberg. And then John Williams did the musical score for it. Mm-hmm. So he's already like, I'm putting pieces in place, guys. Just rock with uh, me. Look, I'm, I'm building my, my beautiful mind thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing the numbers. <laughs> it's all coming together. Exactly. So you just have those three strings that kind of, you know, become, you know, um, rural crime movies, yeah. you know, as we start to know them. And then, you know, it starts to fork off, you know, through the decades as well, and to other things as well. Yeah. But yeah, if, to me, and this is conjecture, so you know, if anyone out there has any other views, yeah, definitely chime up. But I think those are the beginnings of the genre. Yeah, yeah. And I think certainly throughout all of these, there is an air of the lawless Old West and, mm. and you know, and, and, and even in Westerns, you know, there was this mysterious stranger who comes to town. We don't know if this person is a good person or a bad person. You know, uh, the local personalities, you know, even as part of kind of the key elements that we see uh, uh, kind of recur over and over again in rural crime movies. I wanted to talk about a little bit about uh, just real quickly The Getaway in 72 mm-hmm. with Steve, Steve McQueen, McQueen and uh, Ali McGraw. Ali McGraw. Yes, sir. I saw the remake first. Boo. Go ahead. <laughs> I was waiting on your hate, son. I was waiting on it. Your negative energy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really, and then I saw, you know, the, uh, the original later on yeah. and they're very similar, you know, mm-hmm. they're very, very similar, but even that one as now it's not really just lawlessness and it's not, uh, a crime spree per se. And it's not even like, you know, just killers on the run. This is professional thief. Mm-hmm. And, but just working in small town situations, robbing, you know, like racetracks and, and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, and the thing about the remake was, is, you know, in seeing it, I was just like, well, what I did like, didn't like was, I was like, okay, Alec Baldwin and, and Karen, Kim Basinger are just, right, just so attractive. Right, exactly. Just like, they look like models. <laughs> what the hell are you doing here? You know, but the thing I did like was, is Kim Basinger is actually a Southerner. Mm. So setting it in a rural place or in a place that's outside of a big city, you know, she could be authentic. Yeah, it sounds, you know, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of bring that to, to, to mind. But, um. I wanted to jump ahead because you said you were a fan of Bud Simple, right? In 84? Yes. Oh, yes. I tried watching it twice recently, and I just couldn't stay with it. Oh, man. I couldn't stay with it. I could see, like, just little kind of, like, light touches and maybe implications of what the Coens would become. Mm Mm-hmm. But it just seemed so novice filmmaker and, like, a little wandering in places. Uh-huh. Even though I loved seeing Francis McDormand and uh, uh, Dan Dan uh, Hedaya, Dan Hedaya, uh, and uh, I forgot what the what the I know I know who you're thinking about. What's the the the, the younger guy? Yeah, I forget who that the is. The main the main actor who was having the affair with uh, with uh, Francis McDormand's character. Yeah, but uh, I liked seeing them. But I just. I couldn't, oh, I couldn't finish it, yo. But <laughs> what, what is it that you that that you recall about that particular movie, and how does it how does it play into kind of the the real crime genre? Because mm. that's you know twenty years past, you know uh, Bonnie and Clyde, you know, in, t- in ten years past, you know, like The Getaway or something like that. You know what it reminded me of? It kind of reminded me of. There's a part of it that's kind of like Body Heat. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, that, that type of thing of like now we're having uh, adultery enter into it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these movies work when it's something that the audience can relate to. Now, I'm not saying everybody's being cheated on and all that right. stuff. But in your mind, you're like, 
if that happened to me, what would be my reaction? Now, now I'm not going to kill nobody, but I'll, I'll watch somebody on screen do it. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, right, and do it vicariously. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I think for me, because I saw it first in my early 20s, and I was enamored by it, enamored by it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And I think for me, you talk about that novice filmmaking. I think because I can sense that at the time these guys were doing it, the Coens, that they were very young themselves. Mm-hmm. So it attracted me because I was also a young person, very interested in film. And I had pretensions of being a director. Pretensions. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and there is one camera move that they did. I, I love the movie as a whole, but there's one that to this day, I still don't know how they did it. Frances McDormand, she's, it's daytime, and she's um, in her room or whatnot, and somehow she falls back into her bed, and it turns to night. And she falls back into her bed, and everything changes. Shifts, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was like, that right there, that, that exploded my little 20, 21-year-old mother. <laughs> Boom. Right. What? Right. How did, how did you do that? Yeah. But the rest of the movie itself was just very good to me. You okay. know what I'm saying? And I think it works its way into this whole genre is that, one, it does take place in a small small town in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, there's a familiarity there. You know, they set up the characters to, you might actually know these people, you know, or mm-hmm. archetypes of these people. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 attractive girl who probably was, you know, very attractive in high school, and she ended up marrying an older man for security. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He owns a local business or whatnot, mm-hmm. but he's up in some shit. You know what I'm saying? He's doing some stuff. You know, it's like you kind of know these people. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's almost like a a, 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 a bird in a gilded cage. You right. Know? And this other dude that comes along, she's like, oh, my goodness. Right. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, someone who's more appropriate to her. Mm-hmm. There's a natural attraction and... The inevitable end of her relationship with the older, more richer, powerful man is is, is soon bearing down. It's like, okay, this is... Exactly. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and again, you still have that whole strain of, you know, uh, star-crossed lovers, if you will. Because, you know, she's like, you know, well, I, I don't want to be with him anymore. I want to be with you. But how, how can we make that happen? And so that younger guy is pressured into... Oh, I gotta make this happen. I mean, she, man, 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 she, she, she kind of fought. She got that thing. Yeah, you know, she put it on me, so I'm sprung. My nose wide open. Right, right, right. So I gotta, right. yeah, I gotta figure something out. Yeah, and he does. But and then you know, the the situations ensue and everything. But yeah, I, I think it just it just really works on that basic level. And then obviously the Coens become you know master filmmakers. You know, right. after this, of course. Yeah. And they continue that strain of rural crime movies, obviously, with Fargo mm-hmm. and No no Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's almost like they, too, you know, like you were talking about the, uh, the writer-director earlier who did Wind River. Mm-hmm. It seems like they, too, have a fascination with that Midwestern, you know, kind of, uh, there's still a frontier out there. It's just... Right. In a modern sense. Yeah. yeah. Parts of America that have maybe been ignored, left behind, technologically, mm-hmm. socially, whatever the case may be. Even in a in a movie like um, we were talking about Hell or High Water. Did you get a chance to see it? Man, I didn't. Okay. In that particular movie, there's, you know, there's talk where they say, you know, this town used, used to be a real town. And now it's, you know, it's got a pawn shop, a gun shop. It's got a diner that sells, you know, three... But basically three meals and that's it. Those are the only things on the menu. Mm-hmm. And everybody either works at the mill or whatever. And the nearest Walmart, you know, is 
20 miles away in East Texas somewhere. You mm-hmm. know? So, you know, this place is a shell, you know, and there's a bank, which, you know, Chris, Chris Pine and, and, uh, and Ben Foster, you know, aptly want to rob. You know, <laughs> you know they want to get they want to get paid. But uh, let's 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 pause for a second and talk a little bit about some of the key elements. All right. In crime movies, I made a list because I was trying to think about. It. I was like, what seems to be recurring over and over again? Certainly, small town. Yeah. Sleepy, you know, comfortable community, distinct local personalities mm-hmm. who have been there forever. You know, that seems to be something that comes up a lot. As far as the plot goes. And you were talking before about, you know, being isolated. That's, you know, that's a motivation for, you know, Breaking Bad and, you know, trying to come up. The thing I noticed was is like sometimes and usually there's a change agent that comes in. Mm. Uh, either a stranger comes with a mysterious past and they, they kind of bring trouble or a law enforcement person from a bigger place or another place comes. And, you know, they're trying to solve a crime or something like that. We see that happen. Definitely a plan of some kind that goes awry. Mm-hmm. You know, is, is we got it laid out, and then something happens, and somebody dies, or somebody gets killed. And, you, and it's so funny, like <laughs> in, within the group, you always know who's gonna be the one that's gonna fuck oh, yeah. up the plan. Yeah, like yeah. you can pick them out. Yeah, yeah. And it's like Clem, don't fuck this up. I ain't gonna do shit. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. I ain't gonna do shit. Look, and that's the one who does it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, uh, the thing I always liked was uh, in the Getaway uh, remake. Uh-huh. Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. <laughs> But he's got long. He's got like a long mullet, and he's playing like the young, young buck who's brought into the uh, the crew. Yeah, who doesn't have the experience and doesn't you know know everybody like everyone else does. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alec Baldwin is a little bit suspicious of him. He says, uh, "So what's your what's your name? Is uh, uh, name's Ricky? Uh, I, I drive real good, shoot real good. <laughs> you drive real good, you shoot real good. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you knew." He was going to be the first one in the double cross who was going to get shot. And, yep. of course, Michael Madsen's character, like, shoots him in the car as they're driving away Damn. and kicks him out on the side of the road. And uh, uh, one of the uh, – as far as other elements go, um, you know, bored and disfranchised members of the community, mm-hmm. which you kind of touched on earlier. Somebody trying to right a wrong of some kind. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Deep family secrets, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, uh, family resentment and jealousy, that kind of thing. You know, you never loved me or mom and dad loved you better than me. We saw that in a simple plan, you know, between Billy Bob Thornton's character and, and Bill, uh, Bill Paxton's, Paxton's character. Yeah. You know, they, they pay for you to go to college. You know, I didn't get anything. You know? mm-hmm. Or there's just a murder, you know, and then it's got to be investigated and somebody's got to somebody's got to figure it out. Somebody's got to solve it or make it, you know, make it resolute by the end of the uh by the end of the uh, of the film, but as far as the eighties go, you know, Blood Simple was nineteen eighty four. Yeah, and Witness came out in nineteen eighty five. Yes, and uh, in eighty eight, when we talked about this and you laughed, I brought up Shoot to Kill. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that funny, yo? Look at this. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on, man. Hold on, hold on. Man. Put some respect on Shoot to Kill. We got Sydney Poitier. We got Sydney Poitier. Okay. Tom Berenger. Yeah. And Clancy Brown. <laughs> Shoot the kill. And an early Kirsten, uh, Kirstie Alley. Yeah. As the uh, as one of the trackers, yo. You might have said something like next to kid or some shit. <laughs> hey, I like next to kid hey, too, me yo. Too. I fuck with next to kid hard, yo. You ain't mountain. You, you ain't mountain. No. You ain't mountain no more. You ain't mountain. <laughs> 
That shit was hard, yo. Liam Neeson did that, yo. But the thing I was going to point out about Witness and Shoot to Kill is these are examples where in Witness, the crime takes place in the city, Mm -hmm. presumably in Philly. And then they end up going out into the outskirts and into the uh, rural areas of, you know, um, quote, Amish country. And then that's actually where the movie ends. Yeah. And so our our hero, our main protagonist, Harrison Ford's character as the cop, kind of discovers himself separating himself from, uh, you know, from his city environment. And, you know, he has that bond with... Um, with the boy. Right? Uh, with the boy, but also with his mother. Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis, yeah. Yeah, yeah from uh, Top Gun and, and then this. I think she did this right before Top Gun. That's right. And um and an early Danny Glover appearance as oh, the villain, yeah. yo, who dies in the silo. silo. Yeah, yo. <laughs> Great Mr. <mister>. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the little boy was in the police station, he's wandering around and he goes to the trophy case and he says Wait a minute. him. He says he the killer, he looked like him? He said, No, no, no. That is him. <laughs> and then that's you know, that's when the movie takes off. Yeah. But that's it starts in the city and then comes out into the rural, and it's the opposite, or it's a uh, back and forth with Shoot to Kill. Mm-hmm. It starts in the city, we go out into the mountains and into the woods and in the rural areas, and then we end up back in the city, uh, you know, for the third act and for the, you know, the big climax where they finally catch Clancy Brown, who was rocking the voice Oh yeah, in that movie. Like, that was his whole thing. You couldn't see his face. So he commits the crime and kills a cop or somebody, I forget. He gets away. They don't know what he looks like. And then he joins this kind of caravan of dudes who are going, you know, like middle-aged, you know, wealthy dudes who are going on this, you know, this hike retreat or whatever. Mm. And you don't know which one of them is actually the criminal that that mm. uh, Sidney Poitier is trying to ca- capture. But one of the things I want to bring up, and this is ki- it's kind of a, um, a trope, but I'll go ahead and touch upon it now. All right. One of my favorite tropes is the person who is a tracker and who knows the area and the terrain or the whatever, and they're forced to track somebody against their will. Yeah. You know, somebody, either the law enforcement person makes them do it or the criminals are like, hey, you got to show us how to get out of here. And, the, you know, and the, you know they're going to figure out all kinds, because they know this area very, very well intimately, so they're going to figure out a way to try to ditch yeah, get the person who's making them yeah. do it. But I always love it when they make them do it. You know, you're going to show us who the fuck I am, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, of course, you know, it ends up happening that way. That happens in Shoot to Kill, Tom Berenger's The Tracker. Uh-huh. The same thing happens in Cliffhanger with uh, Sly Stallone. You're right, yeah. You know, where uh, um, John, Lithgow. John Lithgow's character and his crew, including Leon, Leah, oh, is that your bitch? Yeah, exactly. Your bitch. Oh God, he was, he was so horrible in that movie. But it happens in that movie and um, in uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead. Okay, you know where uh, uh, John Barenthal mm. plays like a local cop who knows the area, or whatever, and the criminals who are trying to hunt down this little boy who has the information. Yeah, they're like, we got to find him. You got to, you know, show us where to go. And at first, Barenthal kind of gives in and he starts trying to help him but then he like hides one like a foot footprint or whatever and they like whatever and then finally he's like no i'm not doing it i'm not helping you but it's um i love that as kind of a trope that kind of comes up it's like you know the change agent comes in trouble comes to town but they've got to enlist somebody to help them because they don't know anything about this place mm-hmm. you know they're 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 un- they're totally unfamiliar with it so you know and and that's that's funny because that that is a definite trope you know what i'm saying and mm-hmm. i think we as the audience identify with that because you know we would be like well 
if I was under duress like that, you know, how would I get out of this situation? Right. You know what I'm saying? And plus, it also plays into, you know, the fact of like, you know, it's a such thing as like country smarts. You know, yes. there's street smarts. Right. And there's country smarts. Yeah. Okay. When you come in from the city, you know, and you asking for directions or how to do this and that. None of that city stuff going to help you. Yeah. This, this, these country people going to know what to do. Don't right. go to that lake because the, the tide, the current is too strong. Right. Don't go in them woods because you won't find your way out. Right. That type of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's hella dark over there in Wilson's Wilson's woods over by the farm. Mm-hmm. You know, if he goes over there, he's never going to find his way out. You exactly. Know? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And even uh, in Shoot to Kill, Poitier tells him after almost freezing his balls <laughs> off in a... Uh, you know, and them trying to cross this mountain with, uh, with him, just him and Tom Berenger. When they finally get to wherever they were, Canada or wherever, he says, all right, now you're in my jungle. Now you're where I know how to play. They call me Mr. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, uh, quick aside, I actually met Sidney Poitier when I was working at Hertz at the uh, at, at the Atlanta Hartsfield Airport. Yeah. He came in with his family to rent a car, and I actually waited on him and rented the car and acted like I didn't know who he was. Right. You know, I didn't want to be saying a bunch of stuff to him. And I was like, uh, name please? He was like, a Poitier. <laughs> I know it took all your shit just like, oh my God. Is this Mr. Tibbs? <laughs> <laughs> we don't speak of it anymore. <laughs> uh, oh, man. But then after uh, Shoot to Kill in 88, uh, or before that, you actually do have At Close Range. Mm. So um, which was really one of my favorites, you oh, know. It's good. Yeah. Bad Boys, like you said, oh. is a favorite, and we're probably going to have a conversation about prison movies at oh, some hell point. Yeah. But um, At Close Range is one of my favorites. Uh, State of Grace, which is set in New York City, mm. is one later on. That one's another great one. But this one, yeah, um, Christopher Walken, his brother Chris Penn. Yeah. Um, we have a very young, eighty six. When did Back to the Future come out? Uh, eighty five. 85. So at the same time uh, is when um, what Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover is, is cast in this particular movie. Who, who plays Crispin Glover he's in this movie? He's in, playing Crispin Glover. In every movie. <laughs> he's Crispin Glover in every movie oh, practically. Okay, I'll go along with right. that. Right. All right, Sean King. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but Christopher Walken and, uh, and a bunch of other character actors, yes. including a, a mute David Strathern. It is. But I also saw in the, um, reading up on it, you, you remember when Christopher Walken goes into the, the cockfight? Yeah. And he's talking to some informant who's in the shadow in the foreground. Right. He's always wearing sunglasses and whatnot. That was also David Strathern. Was it? That's why they put him in shadow. Because like, we, need, we need an informant right here. We don't have an actor right now. Okay, David, go ahead. Are you serious? It's so somebody. is that why his character is mute throughout the rest of the movie? I believe so, because otherwise you would have been like, wait a minute, that's, no, that's him. Because, look, the funny part in the film is, is Christopher Walken introduces him like three times and says, yeah, this is uh, Ken over here. He's got epilepsy. He's just looking at his <laughs> like, is that my only character trait? I have epilepsy? Okay, motherfucker. <laughs> but, you know, what I love about At Close Range, though, is it's like, the authenticity of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It, it really legitimately, if you've ever been to a small town like that, yeah, that's exactly how it feels. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Sean Penn is so good in that. Christopher Walken is a fucking monster in killer. it. Killer. He is so good, but a he is killer. a monster. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Yeah. And who's the young actor who played uh, Terry? It's uh, Mary Louise. Mar- I thought it was uh, Mary Stuart Matheson. Mary Stuart Matheson. I think you're yeah. right. Mary Stuart Matheson. I get the three named Marys. Yeah. Mary, <laughs> Mary Louise... 
Parker or Mary. Yeah. And then it's and like then uh, Mary, Mary Elizabeth Mary. Winstead is out now. And, and then, then Mary uh, Mastranio or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. This yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is like all these three Mary names. It's like, okay, wow, this is like a thing. You should start a band. But uh Yeah. But um but yeah, he was absolutely just cunning and ruthless. And he had this dark charisma about yes, him. And, yes. and, that, and that's how it always is. Yes. It's no wonder that he was the leader of this band of um, yeah. guys or whatnot. They all looked to him like Brad, Brad Sr. You yeah. know, what are we going to do next, Brad? Yeah. You know, I'm telling you what we're going to do next. You know, whatnot. Yeah. You know, and the way he kind of rooted out everything too and ruthlessly took care of it once he saw that the FBI, the FBI is in town Right. Once he got the information that they know about you guys, yeah. they know about the kitty crew, they know about your kitty gang. Right. You know what I'm saying? And how he just led them up there one by one. Yeah, like lambs to the slaughter, Exactly. Man. You know, and, and the thing that was heartbreaking, too, is like when he led um, Chris Penn up there, he's talking to him, yeah, just stay right here, just stay right here. And he tells him that story about yeah. the coyotes. Ever been out west, Tommy? No. Never heard of coyote? No. They make the sound like woo, woo, woo. Coyote bitch gets in heat. First thing she does, she took care of the males. Then she heads toward town. All the neighborhood dogs, they smell her. They go crazy. They follow her. She lures them. Out onto the desert. She get a dog out there. Alone. All of the coyotes come along. They circle around. They kill that dog. Eat it. Tommy, if you were to go up in front of that grand jury, what would you say? Nothing. Yeah. He's telling his story and then it's like, what are you gonna tell the grand jury when they ask you? I'm not gonna say nothing. Liar! Dad! And he just screams out, Dad! Yeah. yeah. Dad! Bam! That's why at the end, and actually I think the way I saw that movie, I saw it on cable and then I, I went and got the VHS later. Okay. But I saw it on cable and I think I saw the end scene. Where he and Terry are in the car, and he's been released from from jail, and he was working with the authorities, and they were going to be on the run, and his mm. mother and his grandmother gave him a little bit of money, and they were going to try to get their own place and That's try to right. just get out of there. And they get in the car, and they're talking, and all of a sudden you see the shadowy figure come to the side of the door, and they just light him up. Pow, 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 pow. Reminiscent of Bonnie and Clyde with the bullet hits, the squibs. Yeah. You know, yeah. just graphically you can see the squibs and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then him, you know, he gets out. And he knows she's dead, and he kind of, you know, washes himself off. Washes himself off, and then shows up at his father's doorstep, and his father's like literally seeing a ghost because he thought his son, he had killed, you know, his boys had killed him. Mm-hmm. And he lets him in, and then he goes to the bathroom and gets the gun that he knows is hidden in the uh, in the thing, and he comes out. And then that's when they had that confrontation. He says, Is this the gun you used on so and so, on my brother, Tommy? Yeah. On Terry? On me? You know, and then you hear the police sirens coming and then and that final sequence in there and all this takes place in 
remote Pennsylvania, and it's based on a true story. I forgot the family's name, mm-hmm. but there was a senior and a junior, and um, the junior ends up uh, the the father who's he's basically robbing yeah. you know farms and stealing equipment and, and stealing money whatever he can, and the son ends up testifying against him after an attempt on his life and it ends up killing the son's girlfriend uh, whose name was real name was Robin Miller I believe okay, um, but it was based on a on a true story and then that final scene when you know Sean Penn you know they bring Christopher Walken and his his uh, his his second in to face trial and everybody's outside and the reporters and it's a big deal. And then the helicopter lands and Sean Penn, they bring Sean Penn out and he's got the jacket, jacket over his yeah. head and then he's on the stand. And, and I never knew why, why he had that crazy wig on. <laughs> I, I wasn't I sure was about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, this ain't, this ain't bad boys. You know right. what I'm saying? I, didn't, I was like, what's with the wig? And then, you know, he's on the stand and they're like, okay, do you see Brad, uh, Brad Whitwood senior, uh, Brad Whitewood senior in the court? He's yeah. And he's like, well, who is he? And you know, choked up. He's my father. I was just like, oh my God. It was really great. Um, one of the things about that song, because Madonna, the reason why Madonna gets top Billy, <laughs> and Patrick Leonard is the guy who composed the music and did the, the score for the, the movie. Okay. He was a, a collaborator of hers in that period. Ah. And so she was married to Penn, and, and she said, hey, you know, he's got this instrumental thing. I'd like to write lyrics for it and see if we can do it. So she was very much instrumental in getting Sean Patrick Leonard that gig. Mm-hmm. But that song, um, uh, Live to Tell, it's a great song. It's one of her first songs where she kind of moves out of like the sexy pop arena and starts writing about more serious, seemingly more serious matters. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have rarely, I don't think I've ever met a, a woman or a girl, you know, when I was younger who didn't love that song, who didn't like that song. Mm. Again, because one, because it's a great song. But now I realize to some extent, that's a song that speaks to, you know, you hear the, 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 um, you know, the percentage that, you know, probably seven or eight out of every 10 women you meet have been sexually assaulted on some level. Yeah. So this idea of, you know, I have a, a tale to tell. I have a secret. I hope I live to be able to tell it. A man mm. can tell a thousand lies, you know, this kind of a thing. And so it had a double meaning to me later on when I, you know, got a little older and got more mature as to why maybe so many women really loved that song and maybe connected with it in an, in an emotional way. Mm. Uh, perhaps the intention, perhaps not the intention. Maybe that's conjecture on my part. But it really hit me, you know, later on in life, thinking, you know, this idea of, you know, a secret that, you know, I can't tell anybody. And, you know, and even in the film, um, you know, the uh, the actor who played uh, his girlfriend, Terry, you know, yes. she's raped yes. by Brad Sr. in that hotel. And, you know, she's talking to her mother, but she never tells Brad Jr., um, you know, Sean Penn's character, you know, what's happened to her. So mm-hmm. anyway... ahead man and talk a little bit about going into the 90s with uh like cape fear mm. which was set is essex an actual place i don't think so okay this is just because it didn't even seem like a real place like no. a real southern town no. it all seemed like sets and yes and, and studio and exactly you know and, and manufactured and um i rewatched 
part of Cape Fear? The 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 the, the remake. The yeah, remake I've or, seen the okay. the original with Robert Mitchum and uh, and Gregory Peck in nineteen sixty two. Yeah. But the one in ninety one with uh, uh, with Nick Nolte and uh, uh, Robert De Niro and, and Jessica Lange yeah. and, and a great performance by Juliette Lewis. I love Juliette Lewis's performance in this as a teenage daughter. But um, the thing I didn't like about the movie, and I saw it in theaters. Oh man, okay, all right. That night vision shit when they're having sex and he would go to it. I hated that. <laughs> it seems so gimmicky and yeah. ridiculous to me. You know, we're just, yeah. and I'm like. Again, again, that's Martin Scorsese getting out of his comfort zone. Like, yep. bruh, you can't do everything. Nope. You can't. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. But you talk about, and if anyone who hasn't seen the 1962 version, Robert Mitchum is menacing Evil. as fuck. He he has between that and Night of the Hunter, yes. he has that menace. Yes. That like be afraid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, um, and that was kind of the other thing too, is, is as good as De Niro is in that role, I just didn't believe him as a southerner. Mm-hmm. That 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 accent was yeah. not working. Yeah. I didn't believe him as a southerner. Oddly enough, this is gonna sound crazy. Okay, all right. I didn't believe him as a southerner. But I kind of believed him as white trash, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, because they're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're not the same thing. But um, but I did believe him as like a psychopath race, rapist. Mm-hmm. That I did believe. Yeah. And uh, and that rape scene with um, uh, I forgot the actor's name. Um, actress's name. Uh, she was dating Martin Scorsese at the time. Oh my goodness! Oh, oh, uh, Ileana Douglas. Ileana Douglas. Yeah, that rape scene with Ileana Douglas was—it turned my stomach. It was as it should. Yeah, it was so horrible. Yeah, but um, I remember it kind of at the you know I got what he was going for, but that falls to me a little outside of rural crime. Yeah, it took place in supposedly a rural environment, but it was really more of like a psychological stalker kind of a thing. Yeah, than anything else, he wasn't there to commit crime other than. I'm going to pay you back for bearing the evidence in my rape case and in, in me spending the last 14 years in prison. I lost a pound for every year I was locked away. <laughs> you know, and him and that, and that scene in, 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 that was menacing to me more than anything else in the movie theater. <laughs> it's like, God damn. Because you, you don't want to turn around and tell him to shut up. Right. Because, oh, you go, oh, you talking to me? You go, you want me to shut right. up? Right. Right. Nah, never mind. Right. Just I- Right. <laughs> but let's uh, let's talk about Fargo, man. Oh man! Um, which is where I discovered the Coen Brothers. Really, mm-hmm. it wasn't Raising Arizona. It wasn't Blood Simple. It was Fargo in yeah. 1996. Yeah, Francis McDormand, William H Macy, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Buscemi, and a bunch of other great character actors in in the, in the movie. When I saw that, and that was another one we saw in theaters. I think oh, wow. Chris and I saw that. Been married maybe a few years. We saw it in the theater. Yeah. And I remember just being blown away by it. You know, coming from the Midwest, from Chicago, uh, there's a little bit of that there. But that's really more of like a Twin Cities, mm-hmm. you know, North Dakota, you know, that that part, Brainerd and all that. All the places where, the you know, this film references and where it takes place. Yeah. But the accent and the Minnesota nice and all of it and, you know, Margie Gunderson and uh, just all of it, man, uh, was just so perfect. And just the idea that, crazy goofy weird things would happen 
and that the story would just be it dark turn dark but dark but but never dark like scary dark dark like Jesus Christ what he put him in a wood chipper yeah Jesus Christ he tacked him with an axe Jesus Christ he shot the father who was trying to deliver the money and then the father shot him in the face and you know mm. ah you motherfucker bah, 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 you yeah. know Steve Buscemi's character they killed the woman that they were hired to kidnap like as you know like don't hurt her just kidnap her we get the ransom money, which is, you know, a hundred a million dollars or whatever. And then I mean it was just things just fell apart. And then the money is left buried in the snow, mm-hmm. you know, at some fence post on mile marker, whatever the hell. It was just crazy. But it was a great film. I was totally engrossed. I did have one crit, but I was totally engrossed. When you when did you see uh Fargo, man. I saw it. I had a similar experience to you in that that was also my introduction to the Coen brothers. You okay. Know? But that movie, because remember, it, I, I, I think the next year at the Academy Awards, man, mm-hmm. I don't know how many it won, but it was a big critical success. Yeah. You know, and everything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's when I was like, because I remember my dad rented it, but I think I went and picked it up on my own. You know, as well. And, uh, yeah, so I was like 17 or 18. And even then, at that point, I it hit me. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, this is this is so good, man. Yeah. This is very, very good. Yeah. And <laughs> it's going to sound funny, but that's also where I kind of developed, like, a, a small crush on Francis, Mc, Francis McDormand, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like, she's... Like just she, she wasn't every woman, but she was so capable in that. She did such a great performance in that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That was like, man, man, she's she's just excellent. Just excellent in that. Yeah. Uh Frances McDormand won Best Actress and the uh, Coens won for Best Original Screenplay. Ah, uh, okay. At the uh, at the Oscars in nineteen eighty seven. Or nineteen ninety seven, excuse me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they definitely got their flowers. Yeah, they they sure did, man. You know, and um yeah, just and, and just also too, it's also one part of like, you know, it has some of the tropes that we've ascribed to other rural movies as well. It's like mm-hmm. that that family aspect, you know. Like, you know, the 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 father in law who really does not like his son in law. <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and, uh, mm. exactly. Where's my genie? Where's my genie? Yeah, man. No, this is a million dollars here. I, I want in on this deal. No, 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 no. Come on. Now, now, this is my deal. This is my deal here. Gosh darn it. Come on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And just that the whole family drama of that, you know, his home life, you know, the son is just like, this. I'm going to McDonald's. Right. You know, I don't want to eat this. Right. You know, just the familiarity of that, you know. Yeah. You can kind of sense that within your own family, so yeah. so to speak. And I thought what was really cool was the relationship between Frances McDormand and her husband. You know, her husband's just interested Norm. in... Hey, yeah. Norm. Love you, Norm. Love you, Margie. Love you, Love you, Margie. Yeah, love just, you, Margie. That was just so sweet. <laughs> like, like, she just went on this whole adventure and everything. She comes back home. And they're sitting up in bed. It's like, I love you. You know, just, oh. Yeah, you know, all he wants to do is just do his duck paintings, just a normal domestic life. And he, and he was an artist, which was kind of yeah. cool. I, when I saw the paintbrushes in the beginning uh, sequence, we rewatching it recently. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right, Norm is an artist." And I thought that, that was <laughs> such a refreshing change of pace, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of have you know the uh, the female be proactive, you know, the wife be proactive in terms of she's the protagonist. And he's kind of stay at home. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm just going to do my thing. You yeah. know, I'll be here if you need me, you yeah. know. And it didn't seem 
seem like he was, you know, being subservient or anything. It's just, man, I'm just, you yeah. know, loving, doting husband. That's yeah. all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely, like, felt real affection for them. Uh, and that actor who played her husband, we've seen in many, many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was really great playing that very understated kind of yeah. a part. Uh, I agree with you. A couple of things. Um, I think this movie changed because this is how I discovered Francis McDormand. Okay. And that's why when I went back to, to attempt to watch Blood Simple, I was like, <laughs> wow, she was a really beautiful, oh, starletish yeah. like oh, young yeah. woman. But, you know, when I discovered her, you know, she's playing at like a, you know, late 30s to 40 year old pregnant woman, five or six months pregnant. And she's got this crazy wig on and she's rocking this crazy Midwestern accent. So, you know, I didn't get any of that. And, you know, and the things she's played after that have, you know, she totally used her powers, you know, you know, to try to go after other roles and to do other things, you know, after this. But um, but like you said, you know, the whole idea that she's, you know, she's the main character, even though she only shows up. 30 or 40 minutes into the movie? Yeah. Like, the movie's only 98 minutes long. She didn't show up for almost 25 or 30 minutes in? Uh, it's, it's only that short? Like it's, it's 98 minutes. minutes. 98 minutes. You know, you know what I think? I think it's also the score that made it feel a bit, I hate to say epic, it's yeah. overused, but yeah. it did make it feel much more grandiose. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. and they shot it with like lots of wide vistas, mm-hmm. white and all of that. William H. Macy said that this movie changed his life. Oh, yeah. He pursued the Coen brothers to get the role. Like, he... Read for some, he read for like one of the uh, secondary sheriff deputies, and they said, "Well, do you want to read for, uh, you know, for uh, for the for the main character?" And he said, "Sure." And he went home, went out in the hallway and worked on it. Came back, he said, oh, that's good, that's good. And then they said, "You want to come back tomorrow?" And he's like, "Yeah." He went home, worked on it all night. Yeah, that's good. And then he flew to New York because he said he knew that they were also casting people there. So he, on his own dime, flew to New York City, and then they showed up out of nowhere. And got the part, and it changed his life. Oh yeah, because you you—that's all yeah. you saw thereafter. Yeah, he yeah. was in everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, he said, uh, <laughs> he says people walk up to him all the time and want him to talk in that accent, <laughs> and uh, and it's funny. And she, uh, uh, Frances McDormand says it happens to her too. And she says she tells people, I have to have the wig and the pregnancy thing on, and it's a whole thing for me to do it. I can't just do it. <laughs> But you know, whole yeah, yeah, yeah. So where are you girls from? Chaska, Lesueur. But I went to high school in White Bear Lake. Go Bears. Okay. I want you to tell me what these fellas look like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. In what way? I don't know, just funny looking. Can you be any more specific? I couldn't really say. He wasn't circumcised. Was he funny looking apart from that? Yeah. So, you were having sex with a little fella then? Uh Uh-huh. Is there anything else you can tell me about him? No. Like I say, he was funny looking. More than most people, even. (laughs) Um, Another one that I I really dig in the 90s is, uh, and we talked about this one, and this was one that we were in total agreement, was A Simple Plan. Mm-hmm. You know, which came out in 1998, starring Bill Paxton and, and Billy Bob Thornton. And again, a bunch of great character actors. Also, uh, Bridget Fonda playing uh, Bill Paxton's wife. But what do you remember about this movie? Like, when you first saw it, what do you remember drawing you in? Uh, uh, 
as with a lot of movies at the age, I, it was one that my dad rented. Okay, pops. <laughs> he all right. Home, yeah, he brought it home, and it was one of those things. Was like I don't think he cracked the case open on it. Uh-huh. I, I guess it was recommended to him at the store. So when he brought it home, I was like, "Well, I'll watch it." And I was game to watch anything at that age. Yeah. And so when I saw, it, I was like, "Man, this is this is really good. This is very very good." And I remember telling you, "Yeah, this was actually one of the first times that like." Visual, nonverbal storytelling hit me. Yeah, as far as talk, like describing, we talked about character. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like in the movie, um, Bill Paxton's character, the old, the brother, he's very responsible. He's fiscal, even. Mm-hmm. And the movie tells you this in multiple ways. But the thing that stuck out to me was he's eating leftover spaghetti, right? You know what I'm saying? And some is dropped on the counter, as you know would happen any anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But as he's talking, he holds the bowl and he scoops the leftover spaghetti that's dropped on the counter, you know, back into the bowl, you know, and, you know, kind of licks his fingers and whatnot. And that told me right there, okay, he's r- responsible. He's been raised not to waste. Yeah. Not, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when the movie goes on, we're going to see his reaction to them coming upon this money. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Billy Bob Thornton, He's the black sheep almost, or he feels he's the black sheep. Right. You know, so when he comes across the money, he's like, oh, man, we we got this money now. Now we can do this. But he's like, Paxson, it's like, we need to be responsible. And so he had that clash there. There's that family drama that goes on. Right. You know what I'm saying? I know better than you. He's like, no, you don't. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there was actually a third character who finds the money with them, who is actually his brother, uh, Billy Bob Bob Thornton's character's uh, friend. And they're both kind of like knuckleheads and and a bit of fuck ups, really. Mm-hmm. And so Paxton says, hey, you know, they, they find this plane in the snow out in the remote area where they are. Yeah. And they find a dead body in there. And then they find this case with the money in it. And it's like they counted it and it's like four million dollars. And he says, look, somebody's going to come looking for this money. We got to keep it until at least the spring. If nobody shows up asking for it. Right. Then we'll go ahead and divvy it up. And then we got to leave town. Like, we can't be riding around here in Jaguars and Cadillacs and shit <laughs> yeah. in fucking podunk, you know, wherever they are. You yeah. know, it's like that can't happen. And slowly but surely, you start to see the unraveling of these characters and the mm-hmm. pressures of, of not having and, and knowing that this money is there. And somebody does come. And somebody does show up, which a, a great performance by Gary Cole playing this, you know, supposed FBI agent who right. visits the town and and makes friends with the sheriff and is trying to investigate this plane that goes down because he knows where it fell. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you know, and, and the whole time, Bill Paxton's wife, Bridget Fonda, who is coming unraveled herself by this money, like she slowly but surely becomes his accomplice in every way, yeah. you know, telling him, you need to do this. You need to do that. This is what you need to do so we can get this money. You know, and then she has that 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 conversation with him in uh, close to the third act, where she says, "Look, you know, how long are you going to work uh, for Mister So and So, and hope that either he retires or dies, so that you can take over his business? You know, you can't get a raise from him. You know, this town, this is the only industry in this town that you could work in. You got a college education. You know, I work at the library putting up books. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I do. Don't you want your kids to have not have hand me downs? Don't you want your kid, your daughter to to be able to go to college and, and do like you did? So she starts putting that pressure. Right. And everybody's, you know, everybody's ethics and everybody's morality just starts to just come apart. And they haven't spent a dollar 
Mm-hmm. It's not like in Goodfellas where he says, don't spend any money. And then, <laughs> come in there with yeah, and then dude comes up with a, you know, hey, it was on sale, you know. What, what did I tell you? What, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? <laughs> don't spend the money. So everybody got to get got. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. And then, you know, and even as the murders start to happen in A Simple Plan and then it's just fascinating. And yeah. it's just fascinating. Very well done. Very yeah. well done. Yeah. And uh, and even the ending, and we talked about the ending where Paxton has to basically shoot his brother, Bill, Billy Bob Thornton's character's head in the head. Yeah. And kills him. And uh, only to find out that the money, you know, they had written down most of the serial numbers. You know, if you spend them, they're going to be tracked. Right. They're going to be able to trace it. And it was just awful. But that's a great movie. Now, didn't Sam Raimi direct that? I believe so, yeah. That's why I was like, I oh, so, man, yeah. dang. Yeah, I believe that was Sam Raimi. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the emotional themes. Maybe not talk about per se, but just point out, you know, some of the, the emotional themes. We touched on them a little bit, but, mm-hmm. you know, you've got strong community. Yeah. Or broken community. Family bonds. Respect. You know. And then, like, disillusionment and isolation, which we talked about a little bit. And then, of course, like, was a simple plan. Certainly, it's just, you know, greed. Yeah. You know, this is quick and easy money. It's in the middle of the woods. How could anybody find us? How could anybody, you know, d- discover that we have this? And of course they do. Yeah. Jealousy. We do see a little bit of that in a simple plan as well between those two brothers. Um, and then revenge, you know, mm-hmm. are, are, are some of the thing, the emotional themes that run through some of these films. But to, to kind of bring it home and into the 2000s and into, into modern day. And I have a couple of honorable mentions that I've kind of touched on a little bit here. But um no Country for Old Men, mm. you know, in 2007, mm. again, directed and uh, written by Ethan and Joel Cohen. Yes, sir. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, Josh Brolin in his breakout role. Mm. This is the one that actually made Josh Brolin a star. Prior to this, he was in Goonies and he, you know, he, <laughs> yeah. and he was in other things like uh, Mod, Monster Squad or Monster yeah. Squad or something like that. But, but he wasn't Josh. He wasn't Brolin. Josh Brolin. It's yeah. after this, like mm-hmm. I think maybe the next year American Gangster comes out. That's right. And then after that, he's in um, uh, Men in Black 3, which wasn't a hit, but it was a big movie. And I think all, you know, this set him up for the seriousness he was take, with which he was taken as an actor to become Thanos later, mm-hmm. you know, in the Marvel movies. And then and all the other things. And wasn't he in a, um, there's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie called Inherent Vice. Wasn't he in that with uh, Joaquin Phoenix? You know, you know what I'm talking about? I, yeah, but I don't know if he was in that. I, I didn't okay. see that film. But um, but of course he was later on. He's in Sicario. Oh yeah, you know he plays the uh, FBI guy in Sicario. Yeah, and um, and he's actually in Spike Lee's remake of Old Boy. Oh yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> with, with Elizabeth Olsen. So Thanos and the Scarlet Witch <laughs> are bumping uglies in uh, <laughs> in, uh, in Old Boy. But No Country mm. for Old Men was actually based on a book by uh, uh, Cormac McCarthy. I think mm-hmm. is the author's name. Yeah. And this is one of the first films, maybe ever, that the Coen brothers didn't write. Mm, it might be. Yeah, I said it was written and directed by them, but I think uh, they wrote the screenplay, but it was based on an original piece that right. was, you know, a novel. Yeah, and, and don't forget about Javier Bardem. Oh, yes, who Javier is Bardem. Just, oh. Anton Chigurh, yo, yes. Oh, yes. man. <laughs> yes. Like weird in that page boy yeah. haircut he has. <laughs> uh, but a great movie. Really interesting. Oh man, yes. Uh, the second on the call sheet. You know, I don't know if Josh Brolin was 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 uh, above Javier Bardem's name. Mm-hmm. Is killed off screen. Mm-hmm. You know, just crazy. 
And the one thing about this movie, and it was there was there were things in other the other movies we mentioned that I, that that lost me, like in Fargo, the whole thing with her and her high school friend oh, that yeah. she met. None of that was necessary. You could have just cleaved that whole section out of the movie. Nothing would have changed about. But the it, it added just a little bit of seasoning to it. Like she's out there on the road, she might feel lonely. But I, she's like, uh-uh. I guess, and, I, and when he tried to sit next to her, she's like, "I prefer you sit over there." Exactly. <laughs> show to stand by her man, like, tell me why not. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and even in uh, in in No Country for Old Men, I was kind of struck by, okay, you find this money in this case, mm-hmm. you're gonna leave it in the same case. You don't put it in a backpack or a duffel bag. How or can he? Anything? Yeah. No. He, went, he took it home with him. Yeah. Put it in something else. We saw he was, you know, contemplating like. Man, all this money. How, what, what 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 can I do? It's a case. Yeah, but it's also it's almost a, a MacGuffin as well. In a certain way, you know they want it back or right, whatnot. Right. But it's almost like this this albatross around his neck, you know, right. so to speak. It's and like, it has to remain consistent for it to be to have the weight around his neck that it eventually has, where he's like, "Fuck, is, was this even worth it?" Right. Exactly. You know? So I get why they made that choice. But yeah, anybody else, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna split this money up. Yeah. And maybe he would have found a homing device sooner that was in there, which led me to also set in the '80s, by the way, exactly. which is why this old technology. Beep 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 beep. <laughs> but he, but it legitimately made you know. Um, Javier Bardem's character like the Terminator. Yes. Like, note for note. Yes, yes, yes. Like, when I was watching <laughs> it for the first time, I was like, and you know I'm a big Terminator fan, so I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah. But it didn't throw me out. I was like, that's a cool hum- homage. All right, okay. Yeah. I-, I-, I rock with that. Yeah. And he couldn't be stopped. Yes. <laughs> Even to the point where they had that shootout at night in the street outside of the uh, rundown hotel. Great scene. Oh, yeah. And Javier Bardem's character gets clipped. Mm-hmm. And he goes back to kind of to kind of repair uh, himself, repair yeah. himself the way Ar- Arnold does, yes. and then is right back on the on the. Are we back in these streets, dog? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was funny the way that he did it as well because he did it in the small town way. He made a distraction in front of the drugstore by putting uh, a flaming rag into the gas tank right. of a car so that the car would explode. And it's a small town, so everybody's going to come running. Oh my God, what happened? Leaving the pharmacy unattended, and right. I'll come back here and get what I need. Right. So then I can go back to the hotel and repair myself. Yeah. 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 So it's almost like he took those the, the brothers. They took those tropes, turned them on the ear just a bit, just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. For the rural sense. Yeah. yeah. And made it work. Yeah. 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 I thought so too. I thought so too. But yeah, he again, not to overuse the word menacing. Oh. He was absolutely sinister and menacing, and just scary. Yes. Just scary. I mean, completely. Uh, spot on casting. Spot on casting with Tommy Lee Jones as mm-hmm. the aging uh, lawman who's tracking them. Yeah. You know, you have Josh Brolin in the front. You have Harvey Bardem kind of in the middle. And then you have the Tommy Lee Jones uh, character kind of bringing up the end. And Tommy Lee Jones is actually from West Texas and so, from that part of the country. Yeah. So he was like, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable, you know, here, very comfortable shooting here and, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, and actually, the actress who plays uh, the actor who plays uh, Josh Brolin's wife, Llewellyn Moss's wife, mm-hmm. is Scottish. What? Scottish. Really? Like Scottish is all get out. I would have never known. She's from Glasgow. What? Yes, but you know they said you know it's just one of those one in a million things when they were casting the Coen brothers said when they were casting 
It's like, okay, you know, she's just one of those, you know, Western Europeaners who can affect accents very well. Damn. She sound like some so West did. Texas trailer living, whatever. Every person I've ever met who looked like that, that's what, that's. Yep. And sounded like that. That's what she got. She brought. Damn. Yeah. She was, she was really great. Um, I do want to jump ahead a little bit to, right. uh, to Helen High Water. And I know you said you haven't seen it. Yeah. But it is very much like a um, like a twin to No Country for Old Men. Okay. Because you have these two brothers, uh, Chris Pine and, uh, and, and Ben Foster. And essentially their mothers died and there's a second mortgage on her farm and the bank's going to take it for like 60 grand or something. And they discover that there's oil on the property. So they say, well, the only way we can raise this money fast, his brother just got out of jail, has been in jail for 10 years, is to rob banks. So they go on a, on, a, on a spree robbing banks. And it's all in West Texas. And they, you know, they have somewhat of a plan. Chris Pine's character is smarter than his brother is. He says, we need to rob only, you know, banks in very, very small towns mm-hmm. with small police departments or no police department. And we're not going to take any of the, the big bills or the ones that are traceable or we die packs. They only took like 20s and, 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 and tens and fives and all that. So they're only really getting five to 10 grand at a time. So yeah. they've got to rob like six, six banks yeah. in order to do it. And so anyway, eventually in the course of the movie, Jeff Bridges character is, is a sheriff or, uh, or is a marshal who's tracking him with his partner, Alberto. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's figuring out what it is. And Jeff Bridges' character is on his way to being retired. He's going to retire after this case. Yeah. So, you know, there's this personal thing going on where he's seeing the end of his career. He's dedicated his life to being a lawman and he has no friends. He has no children. He has no spouse. Alberto, his partner, is really his only friend. And, of course, Alberto is killed at the, yes. end, <laughs> at the end of the movie. Yeah. But, you know, they have conversations or whatever, and he's kind of an asshole, and there's funny things that happen, and all the, the, the key elements we talked about, small town and the personalities. There's a crazy exchange with this waitress in the diner. You have to see it all right. for that. She comes to the table. She's all right, you gentlemen. What don't you want? Mm-hmm. So, what's the plan? We're going to watch that bank like a deer feeder. In time, we'll be right. Now, let's see what they got to eat here. Howdy, ma'am. How you doing today? Hot, and I don't mean the good kind. So what don't you want? Pardon? What don't you want? Oh, well, uh, I think I'll just, uh... You know, I've been working here for 44 years. Ain't nobody ever ordered nothing but T-bone steak and a baked potato. Except this one asshole from New York tried to order trout back in 1987. We don't sell no goddamn trout. T-bone steaks. So either you don't want the corn on the cob or you don't want the green beans. So what don't you want? I don't want green beans. I don't want green beans either. Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked that just a little? That no question. All right. <laughs> so, you know, these characters and, you know, just all of this stuff. Yeah. It's just all right there. But excellent performances. Written by Taylor Sheridan. It's directed okay. by David McKenzie. Super worth it. Just a great, great movie. And, and falls right in line with this. 
Another one is the lookout in 2007 I mentioned to you with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I wanted to, I was at Mall uh, the other day because I said, I know a place where I can get a cheap copy of that. Yeah, yeah. And I completely forgot about it. I blanked out when I was looking at the whole rack of movies. Like, yeah. what's something I'm supposed to get? Ah, fuck it. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I, I would like to have a copy of that myself because mm-hmm. it's not it's not very re- readily available on streaming. Yeah. Written and directed by Scott Frank, who is the screenwriting goat. You know, one of the modern day goats. He wrote Get Shorty. Oh, damn. He wrote Out of Sight. Oh, damn. He's written a bunch of stuff. Mm. And he's 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 very revered as one of the greats. Wow. Absolutely. You know absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about some of the tropes. I don't know if you gave any thought to them. <laughs> I love tropes because tropes are not bad inherently. I mean, there's not that much difference between key elements and tropes per se. Yeah. But it's just when they get used over and over again and they become written even poorer than the first or third or fifth time you've seen them. You're like, okay, we know who this character is. You know, they become, you know, they become archetypes, you know, these kind of simple, you know, poorly done archetypes. But we touched on earlier, the family member who's a fuck up. Yes. You know that you know they're gonna die. We knew Billy Bob Thornton was gonna die. The minute he showed up with the with the masking tape on his yeah. glasses yeah. and the skull cap and the crazy wig on, we knew he was gonna die. Exactly. Um the local law person, could be male or female, doesn't matter, who is either clueless or way better than this town deserves. Like you, you need to be working for the CIA or some shit. Yeah, like like just preternaturally. <laughs> yeah. Know what is going yes, on? Yes, yes. To the point where you're like, "Gee whiz, okay." <laughs> you know, why are you working in this podunk town? You know, yeah. the robbery that goes sideways and somebody gets killed. Mm-hmm. You know that happens all the time. That happens. That happened in a simple plan. Um, it happens in all of them. Yes. You know, essentially, you know, something's going to happen in a in high hell or high water. They rob all these banks and nothing happens to anybody. And then his brother, who's not smart, but who is really the muscle. Mm-hmm. He says, hey, let's go rob this bank here. And he's like, oh, it's too big. It's too big. It's too populated. Blah, blah, blah. Town's too big. It's grown. And they go in and there's two dozen people in there. And of course, this is in Texas. Guy got his gun Everybody in waist. <laughs> and uh <laughs> And he pulls, and then they start uh, it's a shootout, and and then Ben Foster's character runs up over the counter and bam, blows his brains oh, out. Damn. And then you know at that point Ben Foster's character is not going to see the end of the movie. Right. It's not right. going to happen. I mean, it was foretold earlier. He's not going to see the end of the movie. And um, But that's that's definitely one. This is one that's always funny to me. You thought it was this much money, but it was that much money. <laughs> and it could be a lot, or it could be way less than you thought it was. Like, they break into the safe. And then they find out there's nothing in here. Right. <laughs> you know? This is so many movies. Yeah. Or you told me it was sixty thousand dollars. This is six hundred thousand dollars. You know that kind of shit. You know, uh-huh. it's, just, it's never what you think it is. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this is another one too. It's always funny to me. Someone gets shot. Let me look at it. Oh, the bullet went right through. You're going to be okay. Just put pressure on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody's clavicle gets broken and carotid artery. Nobody gets shot in the neck and blood goes to work and, and they just, you know, bleed out. <laughs> you know, you get shot in the shoulder and it's a flesh wound or you get shot in the gut and the gut bullet passes right through and it didn't hit any. It didn't hit anything you need. What are you, Marcus Welby or... <laughs> fucking ER doctor here? Trapper Judd. (laughs) Damn. uh, Yeah, yo. And then, of course, the trope of the richest person in town is, of course, secretly the most ruthless and corrupt. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the bad person. You know, 
<laughs> if if we gonna start in on the honor, honorable mentions, I, I got I got two, man. And okay, well, save them for the honorable mentions category. We'll do it. We'll 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 actually discuss them at the end. Okay, because that, that, that trope you just brought up reminds me of boy. Yeah, there's definitely that. And then uh, and you know we mentioned earlier the tracker uh, who has to help somebody against their will. Yeah. But this made me think. I just want to forget to bring this up. One of my favorite tropes in movies, and I love it every time it happens. What's that? And I saw it. So what happened the other night? Quick uh, 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 tangent. Uh, Set It Off was on. Okay, all right. So I, it was the last 20 minutes of the movie. So I was like, oh, i got to watch the last 20 minutes to set it off. Yo, this, they did a damn thing in this. Yeah. And um, the point where uh, Stoney's character, Jada Pinkett's character, calls Blair Underwood, who's at the bank. She calls him on the phone, and she's on the run. All of her homies have been killed. She's on the run in Mexico, and she calls him from a payphone, mm-hmm. and she doesn't say anything. And he's, hello, hello, and it's just silence. One of my favorite tropes is when somebody calls somebody and doesn't say anything, but you just know it's, is this you, so-and-so? And, you know what I'm saying? It could be anybody. It could be anybody. But it happens in, in bunches of other yes. movies where it's yeah. like, I hope you're okay. But, you know, they have that. It's not a dialogue because the other person's not talking because, you know, the FBI, whatever, might still be But they're on the, the other end, like, tearfully crying. Tearfully crying. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I love it when that happens in movies. It may have only happened three times that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. But I love it when stuff like that happens. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but to round out, the as far as the real crime movies in the in the, in the in recent history is, is uh, we mentioned Hell or High Water, talked about that in Lookout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to mention Wind River, which is a great film. Again, oh, it's, it's Taylor Sheridan, the guy who wrote Sicario and wrote Hell or High Water. Uh, and this is his directorial debut. Great movie set on uh, Native American Reservation in Wyoming. It's about violence towards women, but it's also about like, um, you know, like family and fatherhood and parenthood yeah. and, and all this kind of stuff. Great performances, great list, bunch of actors, super tight script. Uh, much more of a meditation than like Hell or High Water or No Country for Old Men or something like that. But a great movie, worth definitely worth checking out if anybody gets a chance to see it. Okay. But as far as honorable mentions go, okay, I've got two. I mentioned the other two, uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead and I Don't Feel at Home in This World. You gonna laugh, yo. All right, b- bring it. What's up? Hard Rain. <laughs> see, I knew you know what? I knew you were gonna laugh, you know yo. I- I'll allow that. Okay, it's, I'll allow it's that. It's a yeah. fun, <laughs> dumb, like, just... Not even dumb. It's just a fun popcorn mm-hmm. movie set in a you know some small town, and it's raining everywhere, and everybody's swimming in these vats, right? You know these vat sets and vats of water. You know you've got Christian Slater doing his best Jack Nicholson yet again. Yes. You got Morgan Freeman. You've got um, Dennis Quaid, Randy Quaid, Randy Quaid, Randy yeah. Quaid. Um, you've got Ed Asner. Damn. Ed Asner's in it. Uh, Betty White is in it. What? Yes. It's got a bunch of great <laughs> actors and performances. And I was like, holy crap. I uh, forgot about this. You know, and it's, you know, they robbed the armored car and it's raining. And, you know, and Morgan Freeman and his henchmen are trying to, you know, and Christian Slater. It's essentially the same movie as uh, Broken Arrow. Yeah, yeah. Christian Slater's trying to stop the bad guys from getting the thing and, that they want. Yes. It's the same plot. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a good late 90s thriller set in a small town with an excellent cast. But I mean, it's just not a fantastic movie. It's just it's it's fine. If it were on on a Saturday while you were folding clothes, it's fine. (laughs) You know, if you want to throw it in to keep you company. The second one is better than that. Uh, It's called The Gift. Came out in 2000. 
Kate Blanchett, Katie Holmes, Greg Kinnear, Keanu, okay. Keanu Reeves. The script was written by uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Ah. And Kate Blanchett is doing a spot on accent of Florida white trash. Wow. Spot on. Wow. <laughs> I mean, she is not missing a beat. And uh, and it was actually, Billy Bob Thornton wrote the screenplay. It was actually about one of his aunts. It's about a woman who's like a uh, like clairvoyant or okay. a card reader or whatever in town. She has that reputation. She can kind of see the you know, future and all this kind of stuff. And it was about one of his aunts who supposedly had this gift. Mm-hmm. And there's a murder. Katie Holmes's character is murdered. And they're trying to find who did it and so forth. And it's not a great movie. But it's set in a small Florida community town, you know, with these characters and, you know, small town law enforcement and, and so on and so forth. But interestingly, interesting enough, you know, if you get a chance to watch it, if not only just for Kate Blanchett's performance okay. as a main character. You, you said you had a couple? Yeah, I did, man. Okay. The whole the whole trope you were talking about, like the richest man in town. I actually thought about Roadhouse. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> you got to. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, where we literally have a shootout in his really tackily, you know, decorated mansion. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same thing, you know, this um, big city guy comes to the small town, you know, to be the head of security at this supposedly rough bar, one of the roughest, roughest bars. Roughest, yo. Just, man, you, man you, can't, you can't tackle this, Dalton. You can't, you can't handle this. Oh, yeah, watch me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and just the same thing. You get a familiarity with the cast of characters that are mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. There's a close-knitness to it. You know, he has his love interest. And then you have... <laughs> <laughs> then you have, you know, the, the the rich guy who runs everything in the town, ben Gaz- played by Ben Gazzara. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, that was Ben Gazzara. I forgot yeah, about exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's like, uh, it's like, it's like if... Uh, <laughs> who was the older brother? Was it Scott Glenn? Not Scott Glenn, uh... Uh, Mr. Mustache. Oh, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott, Sam yeah, Elliott. That, that was his mentor. Yeah. It would be like if Patrick Swayze was the grasshopper. And Kung right. Fu, and Sam Elliott was the mentor. He, he's he's Luke Skywalker, and he's Obi Wan. Exactly, he had to die. Obi Wan had to die. Oh, of course, exactly. Yeah. So then that's when <laughs> Patrick Swayze drives that Mercedes up on to the ranch of the rich guy and handles business. But yeah, yeah Roadhouse, honorable mention yeah. for rural crime. Yeah, my other one is actually a movie that uh, very few people probably have heard of. Um, it's called Fast Walking. From 1982, hmm. and it stars James Woods. Robert Hooks is in it, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Um, okay. There's one other. Oh, and there's a great performance by this actor. I've only seen him one time in this. Um, his name was uh, Timothy. Oh, his name was uh, Timothy McIntyre. Okay. Timothy McIntyre. Mm-hmm. And his claim to fame before this, believe it or not, was he was a country singer somewhat, but he was also the voice of the dog in the movie A Boy and His Dog. Oh snap! <laughs> I, I remember he has a very distinct. Very I, distinct remember, I remember that. Yes, like very distinct timber. Yeah, yes, and he brings it to bear in this movie. Timothy McIntyre is great. Okay, he's the third. You know, um, banana, so to speak. He's mm-hmm. one of the prisoners. Mm-hmm. This takes place in a prison in uh, Montana. And James Woods. The reason why I qualify this as a rural crime movie is that James Woods works as a um, as a correctional officer at this um, Montana prison, but mm-hmm. 
when he's not there to prison, he's doing other hustles outside of gotcha. that in the town. Gotcha. You know, uh, he has a prostitution racket. Um, he slings drugs. He brings drugs in for Timothy McIntyre's character, Wasco, who's actually a big wig inside of the prison. You okay. know what I'm saying? Okay. And they're cousins. It's just a really good jewel of a movie. Okay. You know, if you catch it. I caught it on TCM like two or three years ago. And it was so good, I watched it twice. Like, I watched it the first time, and it came on like 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't know why I was up, but I'm glad I watched it. Okay. And then I watched it again like a couple of days later, and I was like, man, this is so good. This is great. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Fast so, yeah. Walking? Yes, Fast Walking. And it also, um, when it premiered in theaters, it was called The Joint. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But generally, it's known as Fast Walking because James Woods' character is called in the film fast walking like he always has a hustle he always has something going gotcha. he's fast walking gotcha. you know but it's, it's, it's good it's, it's, it's a good early okay. James Woods movie okay okay Robert Hooks father of Kevin Hooks from The White Shadow and later on director of, uh, of Passion 57 yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely I guess to close it out man you know and obviously you know one of the things about rural crime movies is they're set in these remote places in these, you know, in the woods and in the snowy mountains or in, you know, small towns, you know, these these kind of tucked away places. Yeah. You know, where there's the patina of safety and comfort and familiarity. And then, you know, all this other stuff happens. And I think to some extent, you know, they're an excellent place to show us to tell stories about our frailty as humans and and how we treat one another and and what kind of what we really want. Mm -hmm. out of life I think that's what uh, kind of runs through a lot of these films uh, per se but I did want to ask of course about you know the quintessential rural crime movie that you would recommend to a first time viewer you know for somebody that, that would touch on some of these elements maybe have some of the tropes too but it's just a good darn yarn you know set in these in one of these places damn you know even though I just saw it recently I've got to go with At Close Range man okay really yeah. Okay. Yeah, just because it has all the elements there, there is the authenticity. You get the sense of small town, mm -hmm. small town values, but also the sense of a familiarity with the uh, characters. Mm -hmm. You know, you know somebody like Brad Jr. Mm -hmm. You probably know somebody like Brad Sr. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody like everybody would tell you, don't go out with Brad Sr. That He is none but trouble. And the people that hang out with him too, don't hang out with them either. That type of thing. Yeah. You know, and... The friends that hang out with Brad Jr. You know, you have the fuck up. You have the, you know, the 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 the, the kid who's overly excited. The you weird, know. overly excited kid. You have the younger brother who looks up to the older brother and, and he's just gonna do, do anything he do. he's yeah, gonna do. Exactly. Whatever you're doing, I wanna do it. Yeah, yeah. I wanna follow along too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Those type of things. And 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 you the, the the love interest of like oh man that that kind of you know like like slick rick a teenage love a teenage, a teenage love yeah <laughs> yeah because the actor who played his girlfriend terry it was immediately like the one who's saying okay this is the girl you fall in love with this is the girl who's gonna like where he's just like okay i you know yeah he's just you know he's just head over heels he's like smitten with her. Yeah, yeah from the very beginning you know and um and you know she just had a sweetness to her that it was just undeniable i love that movie i've always loved that movie i've got like my sean penn 
and I mentioned it already here. It's Bad Boys, and yes. then it's At Close Range, and then it's State of Grace. Those, that's my Sean Penn trilogy. <laughs> yeah, if somebody says, well, you know, what's the three-headed monster that you can get on some Sean Penn? Those, that's what I would give them. And he's done some other great things after that, but those were the three where I was just like, wow, I am a fan of this guy Yeah, uh, for sure. So I would definitely say that. Um, I would probably say A Simple Plan for me. Okay. Even though I had a really good time rewatching Fargo recently. Yeah. But I think a simple plan, you know, had the, you know, the kind of resentment between the two brothers, you know, the one who got everything, and the one who didn't. It was a small town where you felt like, yeah, they don't have anything going on at yeah. this place. And it did seem reasonable that, like, if we just hang on to this money and for anybody who ever finds a big bunch of money anywhere, just don't spend it for like six months at right. least. If somebody's coming for it, here's every dollar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Just give it back. But, you know, that seemed like a reasonable plan. But, of course, mm. it's just not going to go that way. You know, these dudes are not built for reason. They're, they're where they are in life because they haven't been made reasonable decisions. They've not been at all ambitious about their lives, you know. And so I, I, and I just think, you know, it was just set well. It was cast well. It felt real. It felt like a small town. It felt like something that could happen, a plane going down and, you know, money's never recovered. It felt, you know, Gary Cole felt like, I'm going to find my damn money. And then the story was so well written because at the end of the film, he's the only one who has the money and he's talking to the FBI and the FBI tells him, we wrote down 80% of the serial numbers. If anybody tries to spend this money, we're going to catch him. And then the last scene of the movie is shot from inside the fireplace where he's trying to burn the money in the fireplace and his wife, Bridget Fonda, is still trying to keep him from doing it. Still trying to find a way to do it. And it's just, you were born in this small town, this area, you're going to stay here. It is the definition of a Pyrrhic victory. You don't get nothing. Right. You got everything, but at the same time, you got nothing. Right, yeah. right. Look and at what you lost. Look at what you lost. Yeah. You know, they killed people. His mm -hmm. brother, he killed his own brother. Yeah. So I, w I would definitely highly recommend uh, A Simple Plan, but I'm glad you enjoyed uh, At Close Range because it is one of my favorites. And it really made me a Christopher Walken fan. Even though I was a fan, I think Dead, Dead Zone Dead was Zone, before yeah. that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was a fan of that. And he actually has a small part in Annie Hall, if you ever... Yes, I've seen it. That. The, yeah, the crazy brother. They drive. I just sometimes think about driving off the road into tra oncoming traffic. And then just watching the headlights. And, and he's like, oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, anyway, yeah. Small town crime, sometimes called rural noir. I think that's that's apropos. That's yeah. a good one. That's a good that's a good name for it. Um, a great subgenre for anybody who's uh, who's not familiar. And uh, we highly recommend, so. Yeah. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go tell that That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. 